Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine Podcast. As usual, you, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. I'd also like to utilize this opportunity to give a huge shout-out and thank you to all the awesome people who have supported me over at patreon.com slash Quarantine. So a huge thank you to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Neil Royal, Nick S, Infamous Fridge, Frugal Brutal, Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals, Coach Jero, and our newest patron, Geek Beardly, for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. And if you haven't heard, you can also find and buy your own MTG in Quarantine branded playmats over at inkgaming.com. You can find that link and all of my links over at my link tree at linktr.ee slash MTG in Quarantine. On today's episode, we're going to be taking a trip down to the Slug Cult Discord here in our CDH uh, Noah deck series. So without further ado, I would like to introduce today's episode, which will be all about Toxrill the Corrosive, introducing returning guest and friend of the show, Beyond the Machina. Welcome back. Uh, yeah, Toxrill is great. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. It's a very, very fun, uh, very fun group, and very fun deck. Uh, and it's always cool to see something cost slither onto the battlefield. Well, I mean, it, it, it's a fun deck to pilot, not so much fun if you're playing against it, though. It's, it, it's a deck. It's a house. I, I can attest to this, everybody. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, but that video uh, from Mental Misplay where I, I just completely owned everybody with the deck is, is a very fond memory, magic-wise. Yes, yes, yes. I, I remember that. I'm, I'm still... Part of my pride is still hurting after that game. <laughs> All right, so before we get to the rest of the episode here... Uh, could you give a quick shout out to the uh, the art that you do and let everyone know where they can find your stuff? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give my usual uh, stream feel. Uh, hi, I'm Beyond the Machina. I make Magic the Gathering inspired playmats of proxies, though I do not sell proxies. Uh, you can find me on linktree.com slash Beyond the Machina. Uh, that is L I K T R dot E E slash beyond underscore the underscore machina like deus ex machina and from there you can find my various merch stores i have inked gaming playmats like mentioned before that mpg quarantine now has stuff available on i am one of their most uh infamous sellers being the designer <laughs> of their um did you know salt playmat Yes, and... yes, very classic uh, playmat right there. The, the, I think we mentioned on the last time, the last time uh, you were on here. Yeah, I, I, I always enjoy talking about that. <laughs> uh, and then, as well, relevant to this episode, and as a good transition, on both my Redbubble and my shirt store, shirt store being Bonfire, you can find Slug Cult merchandise that you can put on. Various stuff. I've heard the Slug Cult t-shirt in particular is quite comfortable, being on the Bonfire one. And uh, a lot of the well-known Slug Cult members uh, own 
the shirts and have looked phenomenal. All right. So all right. I highly recommend going in there, and I will. Uh, yeah. Sounds good. So yeah, like I said at the, at the opening of the show here, today's episode is going to be all about Toxworld the Corrosive. And for those who haven't run into Slug Cult here, Toxworld the Corrosive is a 7-7 slug horror that came out of Crimson Vow a few months ago. Cost 5 black black, and has a bunch of abilities at the beginning of each end step. And again, the keyword being each end step, not your end step, each end step. Put a slime counter on each creature you don't control. Creatures you don't control get negative one, negative one for each slime counter on them. Whenever a creature you don't control with a slime counter on it dies, create a 1-1 one, one black slug creature token. And for an activated ability costing Demir, so blue and a black, you can sacrifice a slug to draw a card. So basically Toxrill is an extremely oppressive commander in CDH because it basically hoses any creature-based strategies, because every time you go around the table after Toxrill hits, you're going to be giving everything negative four, negative four, and frankly, most creatures, or almost all of the main staple creatures in CEDH will not survive a single turn with Toxrill out. So on, just right on its face right there, you've got a 7-7, seven, seven. you have ways to kill your opponent's creatures that's much more difficult to interact with than uh, just trying to destroy them straight up, you have card advantage, you have an interesting little sack outlet if you have uh, like aristocrats pieces out there. You have draw card draw built right into Toxrill. And the only real downside here is that it's uh, it costs seven mana. Yeah. Which is a downside, but I um the deck really only consists of like four or five major stuff, major things. And that is interaction, being counter spells, removal, various other utility spells, um, some goofy stuff, like stuff that helps us improve value from our spells, such as Archmage and Marias, uh, Opposition Agent, Spell Seeker, Dark Confidant, in general, utility, good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, then, uh, lands. You know, general good stuff lands. Uh, of course, all the tutors and all that you need for CDH. And then a ramp. It's just those five things, and it's a lot of ramp and a lot of stuff. For sure. So, and, yes. So, uh, uh, again, not to get ahead of ourselves here, you have right now I'm looking at your personal talks real list, and I will yeah. be linking to this as part of the episode description so everyone out there listening can check this out for themselves. So we're going to... I'm Basically, how we're going to do this episode is we're going to talk through your personal list here. Then we're going to kind of talk about Slug Cult a little bit more. You know, just in general, it's like, what are the patterns of what we see with Toxrill? And basically, just try to wrap up with trying... If people out there are interested in building their own Toxrill lists, what should they... What are some of the things that they should look for uh, to build around this if they want to go in this particular direction, or maybe just some ideas for uh, building more of a casual talks for a list. Although I'm not really sure if such a thing is possible, but you know, think everything can happen. Yeah, casual, casual talks roll is a very interesting area because talks roll itself, and it's very appropriate because slugs are hermaphroditic in nature. Um, because of the nature of Toxerol, 
one could do a goofy, ah, I'm just playing Slug Tribal, and they could genuinely mean they're just playing Slug Tribal. But because of Poxrow's very oppressive ability happening at the end of each turn, especially in Commander, mm-hmm. on a four-turn cycle, all creatures that are not yours get negative four, negative four. If they stick around. Mm-hmm. And that is backbreaking for almost every deck. Yes. That so, has creatures in it. Okay, so, so let's start with your list again here. Can you walk us through some of, I mean, the, the main game plan, obviously, for this deck? Because, yes, while you can blow up all of your opponent's creatures and keep the board clear, especially in CDH, you have a lot of strategies that don't necessarily rely on creatures, too. You have a lot of combo decks that rely on things other than creatures. So how can you utilize this effectively removal in the command zone to be able to further your game plan? And then, basically, can you give us some uh, some shout-outs to maybe some of the underappreciators, maybe some of the surprise cards you use in your personal list that maybe differ a little bit from other lists you've seen? So, how the deck works, the, the main game, is to, like all good CDH decks, you need to study what you're playing against. So if you're playing a very creature-heavy pod, the goal is to get Toxel out as soon as possible. Because those creature decks, if they cannot find removal, if they cannot find an answer to Toxel, they will not win. Or if they are somehow able to, it will be excruciatingly hard to do so. If you're playing in a slightly less creature-heavy pod, your main goal is to just control out the board with various counter spells and tutors and other such things until you can just accrue enough value to win via Thorical Combo, which is just bread and butter basic combo for blue, black, and CDH. Or some more unorthodox, but pretty solid stuff like Isochron and Dramatic Reversal combos with Holebreaker Horror uh, letting you return all non-land permanents to their owner's hands and just, just play out your deck at that point. Archmage Emeritus and uh, Iso combos. Really just most Iso combos. And then there's a handful of other ways to generate infinite mana as well. Uh, I'm trying to remember the other one that's notable. Once you're able to assemble infinite mana, you can play your commander and kill your commander a bunch of times, and with a blood artist or a uh, meat hook massacre, anything like that, it will just drain it. Yeah, that, that definitely sounds kind of like my deck, is running the Blood Artist Meat Hook Massacre to try to be able to play your commander or a very similar creature over and over again, just m- machine gunning down the table effectively. Yeah, and that, that, that's my favorite way to win because it's very funny. Um, though my most favorite way to win in the deck, that is not technically a win con, but once you get to that point, it practically is, is Cormus Bell and Cormus Bell... You know, uh, Urborg from Tomb of Yogmoth and Toxerol. Because Urborg turns all lands into Swamp. Oh, no. Spell turns all lands into 1-1s. I mean, all Spell turns all Swamps into 1-1s. And Toxerol 
gets all things negative one, negative one for each slime counter. So, in a very land-heavy and creature-heavy board state, you can just play mass land destruction and beat face. And I have won, like, really hard CDH games by just playing Cormaspell and Urborg and just beating the tar out of people with Toxroll. Because Toxroll's seven. Wow, that, that is a devious win condition, but... Uh, definitely something I wasn't thinking about coming into this conversation. So that's a really interesting way to win. I mean, uh, yeah, again, people are always going to think that CDH, it's only Thoracle, right? And I think this really proves that while you can run the Thoracle combo, you don't have to necessarily rely upon it. You have other other ways to be able to try to win utilizing the same shell here. And I think that's really important when, when talking about Toxrill is you found a way here to really be able to give yourself two, three, maybe four or five different win conditions. So it's a really a flexible deck. It's not nearly a glass yeah. cannon. It's it's a very flexible and it's a very versatile deck that if you can't win or accrue value the the cool way, being with Toxrill and some of the more interesting stuff of the deck, then you have bread-and-butter combos in the deck that you can just pull out at a moment's notice and play, such as, like, Sensei's Divining Top and Bolus' Citadel. Mm -hmm. Or Sensei's Top and Hunter Balance. Ooh, that's brutal. Yeah. So it's very flexible with direction, and it's very flexible with how one can play it, because... Uh, minor tangent just to the state of CDH as a whole right now. The decks that have the most strengths in CDH right now are the ones that can play versatile. Or, uh, they can adapt in different ways in the middle of the game. They're not that gla- glass cannon centric. It's they can win one way, they aim to win one way, but they can always pivot another, which creates a sense of unpredictability and uncertainty to the opponents. That's why decks like Crark and Sakashima, decks like Wynota, and various other similar decks are as popular and as oppressive as they are is because of that unpredictability and that versatility that they have. And Coxroll, whilst I wouldn't quite say it's as good as Karkin Sakashima or Winota or any of those. It's definitely getting up there, and the more it's studied, the more it's looked at, the more it's practiced, the way more likely it is to eventually reach that same point where it can be a creature back deck, or it can be this highly weird Adnaz deck. Either way works. And that that's one of the really cool things that makes Toxroll interesting, especially compared to other D-Mirror commanders. For sure. And again, you did just mention Adnos here, so I think we obviously have to mention that here, is that you found a way... I'm, again, I'm looking at your Mox field list right now, and the fact that you've taken a deck with a commander that costs seven and you're running Ad Nauseum is something that I, I don't think we should we should overlook here is the fact oh, no, that you, you've balanced your deck so well to be able to 
leverage a seven drop commander and yet still not be afraid to run Adnaws and try to chew through your deck. That it, 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 it's crazy. It really is. Yeah, and the other thing is, I, I probably could be a little bit better on the like Adnaws rate because shout out to Moxfield has that fantastic Adnaws calculator at the bottom where it's like. You're using ad nauseum. The average mana value without ad nauseum is 1.34. So the average mm -hmm. mana value in my deck is 1.34. But because of that average, I can get away with playing stuff like Bolas and Citadel. I can get away with playing stuff like Force of Will, which like most people put Force of Will in regardless. And I can run a lot of creatures that are a little bit of a higher mana cost and a 7-drop commander and not usually not be too punished for it. Obviously, Adnaz can kind of go sideways sometimes, but that's CDH for everybody there. Yeah. It, it happens. It, it's very high risk, high reward. And that's 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 one of the things I enjoy about it. Yeah, but I, I guess I feel like you don't necessarily need Adnaz for this deck to work, though. It feels to me personally like it's kind of a backup condition if you really just need to see a lot of cards right it's, away. It's good for value. It's, it, yeah. it's good for value. If you can cheat out an Adnaz like turn one and then Turbo Tops are out turn one or two then it's like sure let's go what worries do i have oh yeah no no doubt about that one okay so now that we've talked about your personal talks real list oh um, uh, before we get yeah, 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 some, sure. some sillier or unique stuff that really know why they're not special to my deck because my deck is pretty much just an amalgamation of all the other decks and okay that's just, just what i play one really unique tech that is special in Toxeril that's always worth mentioning is stuff like Drowned Lock or Forbidden Orchard. Because Forbidden Orchard gives your opponents a 1-1 one -one, and then you kill the 1-1. One -one. Mm -hmm. So it makes the downside of Forbidden Orchard way less so. And then Drown and Lock is the same thing just because of how many creatures you'd usually end up killing. Drown and Lock is substantially better. Yeah, so again, for those who don't know, Drown the Lock is a instant for a blue and a black. Reads counter-target spell with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its controller's graveyard, or destroy target creature with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its controller's graveyard. Yes. And then uh, Forbidden Orchard says, tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And whenever you tap Forbidden Orchard, four mana, put a 1-1 one, one colorless spirit creature token into play under target opponent's control. So, both of those give Cox roll a little bit of... Uh, they have a little bit more extra oomph when playing them with Cox roll because of what Cox roll does. That is so devious. It really is. And, and, and then, of course, I mentioned Cormus Bell and Herborg combo, which, like, not really a combo, just like a value play. But that alone is something very silly that months ago, years ago, to see it in a CDH deck or just even a high power EDH deck would be a, why are you doing that? Sure, one provides decent value and the other one provides decent value, but together it's like, uh, why? 
now it makes total sense because you can just mass land destruction. Sure. Who cares? Yeah, that, it, it's that's crazy. Funny. That is crazy. Uh-huh. All right, so yeah, now that we've talked about your li- personal list here, what are some of the other things that you've seen other Talks Real lists do? Obviously, we've mentioned Slug Cult multiple times, so I think before we even get to the other deck lists, you should kind of explain what Slug Cult is and why it's so important to you. So Slug Cult is, in short, it's just the Discord community around Talks Real. Uh, the actual Toxroll Discord is called Toxroll's Toxic Tavern, but the people that are within Toxroll's Toxic Tavern are Slug Cult. Uh, in the lore of Innistrad, Toxroll is more of just a... It's a rival to Gitrog. Both the Gitrog worshippers and as a kaiju-esque being on Innistrad, the giant monster. Okay. Slow. A uh, slug cult came about as just a calling card slash way to understand each other's kinship with Toxroll. And I, I've uh, already, being a fan of the deck, I made slug cult merchandise that is, is, I find humorous, and then people have bought. Just to show off their love for Slug Cult. Oh yeah, I've I've seen all that stuff. And again, for the listeners out there, if you're interested in joining the Slug Cult or even just buying some merchandise for Slug Cult, that will all be included in the link tree that I will have in the show description. It's it's very cool stuff. Uh, one, you'll be showing off some fantastic Magic Gathering inspired merchandise, and you'll be supporting an art an artist in need. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that's two good reasons to go on right now and get your personal Slug Cult merchandise. And while you're there, also go over to InkGaming.com and buy a Salt Playmat as well. Or or an MPT Quarantine one. Can't forget that. Yes, yes. Def- buy both. Ser- seriously, j- just pause the episode, go buy both Playmats, and then come back and finish the rest of the episode. Perfect. Yep, yep. Okay. Now, now that we've gotten the obligatory uh, like mid-roll uh, ads there, I, I suppose. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So you keep mentioning that you that your personal talks roll list was kind of an amalgamation of other talks roll lists you've seen. Do you want to kind of walk through some of the other lists you've seen and kind of pick or explain where some of the card choices came or how you ended up on this weird Cormus Bell Urborg combo? I mean. Was, was was this just something that's like, hey, I should throw that in there, or was it just something that just kind of appeared uh, organically through the first builds of Toxrill? So the three decks I have seen the most and have studied the most are um, Cyrus from Mental Misplays List, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm double I'm double checking most of these lists right now because I don't think a lot of them have changed a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, Cyrus is just looking at it it's a little bit more counter heavy and a little bit more interaction heavy, which is understandable. Uh, a little bit less ramp, but it's still practically the same thing. Is Cyrus running Cormus Bell? Cyrus is not. That makes me sad. I think Cormus Bell is funny. Uh, and then my friend Skylar's list, who I'm looking at theirs right now. 
it's I, I think Skyloose is a little bit more reckless driven, not in a bad way, in like a more aggressive centric to do what it, it aims to do. Hmm. Just taking forever to load on my browser. I, I want to say that I've played against Skylar's Talks Rule list. I can't quite remember. I've played against their Rorik Thar deck a couple of times, and I intend to have them on eventually on this exact series to talk through Gruel Stacks. But, uh, oh, yeah. Skylar's yeah. phenomenal talk okay. to Gruel Stacks about. Oh, yeah. So um, hopefully out there for the listeners, you will be hearing that at some point in the next couple months. Book it, Gruel Stacks. We're doing this. Yeah, Skylar's list was finally loaded. It's a little bit more stacks heavy, and it has a backup win con with Walking Ballista and Infinite Mana as well. Oh, right, yeah. Because, again, as you mentioned, once you get Infinite Mana, you can draw your deck as long as you have enough slugs with Toxrill. And then, yeah, Walking Ballista just works well with Infinite Mana no matter what color you're putting it in. So, yeah, that that And then uh, I know Skylar's made a name for uh, themselves with Bale's End. Yeah. Can you read that? Yeah, can you read that out quickly? Uh, Tails End is one of the blue for an instant that says counter target activated ability, triggered ability, or legendary spell. And uh, I, I've heard. Oh, I, there's Trick Find in here too, which does practically the same thing. It just has split second. It doesn't do exactly the same thing, but yeah. Uh, so Tails End, Trick Find. I think Stifle's in here too. Uh, my Stifle might have been taken out. But, okay, um, so so running all the, the the stifle type effects to shut off activated and triggered abilities. Yes. So um, I I've heard some stories of Skylar pulling a trick bind or a tails end out of nowhere, countering an activated ability. I forget for what, but just enough so that it just warped the game around it. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a ton of activated abilities out there in CDH, especially that are really really good. And, and, and if you can turn off a triggered ability, I mean, Dockside, come on. That right there is oh, enough yeah. to be able to just, if you can just turn off a Dockside, especially a Dockside loop, you're turning off a lot of different red strategies. So, yeah, that, that is a really good effect to have, especially if you're looking for a Staxi control-ish build. And then the other list I, I, I took some inspiration for when I built mine is uh, Scotty's list, which... Uh, I practically ripped Scotty's list, only I think I took out a few smaller things that punishes draw. So, like, mm-hmm. Scotty has Consecrated Sphinx, and Scotty has Time uh, Twister, and I'm pretty sure I don't have those in my list. Because... No, yeah, I, you don't. I, yeah, I play, a little, I play mine a little bit differently, a little bit more creature and land punishing, because that's just what my CDH meta dictates. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. And that's the really cool thing about CDH. I mean, I just had Jim Lepage on here the other day talking about uh, personalization of CDH decks, and talking about how the deck database itself is great for a starting point, but once you really dig in, you can start finding fun little things to do to personalize your own deck to really suit your meta and your needs and your interests, Versus just always going off the stock list. And you, from the sound of it, you've definitely taken a lot of inspiration from these other lists and you've worked around with it, found something that works for you, and now you really love playing it. Yes, I do. And it I, it works. And I, I've, I've won quite a handful of games. I've taken it to a 
few smaller CDH events, and it's done very well in. Not Never done perfect, but I once played like a four-hour game. Three-and-a-half-four-hour game. Oof. And that included me mass land destructioning and then winning at the end of the Thoracle combo after like get exiling half my deck for some reason. Wow. And it was wild. Wow, wow, wow. Four-hour uh, CDH game. Hey, I mean, it worked out pretty well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Once you win, it turned out well. It's just, I, I think that kind of laughs in the face of everyone assume, who assumes the CDH is over in 10 minutes. It's like, it can yeah. go a long time. It was even more slightly agonizing because uh, I had just walked two and a half miles to where I, I was playing. And it was like, all right, I just, I just walked two and a half miles to get to my friend's house where the event was being held. And then it's like, all right, we're getting to see this game. And who wants it? And me standing there half freezing, just like, yeah, all right, okay. And like, I sat down, my ears were like stuck to the side of my head, half frozen. My fingers are sli a slight shade of purple. And I sit down, I'm like, all right, let's go. And in the the entirety of the game, I sat down in one spot, warmed up, down like a can of Nas or whatever. Mm -hmm. The Nas, the soda. And uh, I, I think I had like, some, like someone had brought me a, a, someone else, like some warm water to drink. And it was four hours. A pizza was talked about, ordered, and picked up in the whole time span of the game. And wow. it was it was very interesting. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I think at this point, since we did kind of talk about how Toxril can be very warping and casual, and, and, I, and I think that's something that, again, we, we need to make clear here, is that while we're not telling you you can't play Toxril and casual, again, I think when, when we talk about that EDH is a social format here and that... Casual, especially, is more trying to find a commutative or community-style playgroup, I suppose, or just a communal experience, for, for lack of a better term. And Toxrill is very corrosive on a lot of casual games. See what I did there? Um, hey. Because, again, a lot, of, a lot of players like creatures. I like creatures. I like tokens. That's just a lot of things I love to do in casual games. And Toxrill hoses those completely to the point where token players basically get shut off from playing the game, and that leads to a lot of salt. Haha, uh -huh. see how I see what I did there? Um, yeah, and so again, while we're not saying you shouldn't build Toxrill, I think that Toxrill really doesn't lend itself to a lot of casual metas, and that's okay. It's definitely something that I think you need to talk to your playgroup or talk to a group of people you sit down with at an LGS or over spell table with and really have a long conversation about if you're playing a more casual table playing Toxrill. So now that we have that out of the way, I think the, the real logical way to end the episode here is to try to inspire the budding Toxrill brewers out there. People who are saying, hey, I really want to hose creatures, and I want to do all this really cool stuff. I want to play Cormus Bell, but I don't know where to start. So what is some advice you would have for those prospective Toxrill players who really want to break into CDH playing Slug Cult? So my biggest inspiration, I mean, my biggest uh, word of advice for people wanting to get into playing Cockroll is 
be aware of the effect Hoxroll has when you're playing against it. It is a very salt-inducing card. It's a very punishing card. But also be aware that like it will be targeted. So right off the bat, realize you are going to be a threat. You are big, mean, and intimidating. <laughs> and, and corrosive. You yeah, exactly. And you have to be prepared for that. And a lot of players are like, wow, I always play Toxroll and I always get targeted. Or wow, I always play Toxroll and I'm always shut down. That's going to happen. Toxroll is that warping in the game. And once you realize that, and once you like come to terms with that, then you can realize, all right, so you can kind of play the heel, for those familiar with like wrestling terms, where you're playing this villain. Once you're okay with playing that villain, piloting the deck gets way easier. Uh, the other big word of advice for, play, for getting into the deck after the initial just way of thought is to slowly pick up just Demir good stuff. Or pick up stuff that you think would be punishing in your meta that you're playing in. Uh, I have, I've been working on trying to find a way to build Toxroll in a budget way, but because of all the ramp you need and the counter spells you need to protect Toxroll is a little bit hard. But if you are just slowly able to accrue and pick up good stuff, pick up the mana rocks, Prismatic Lens, Arcane Signet, Soul Ring, Bellwar Stone, Demir Signet, uh, Mox Opal, Mana Crypt, Grim Monolith, Mox Diamond, Dual Lotus, stuff like that. If you're able to pick it up or even proxy it, that's a fantastic start because that always assures that you're able to ramp Toxel out faster, even if the rest of the deck might be subpar. Your chances of getting Toxel out without answers is much easier. For sure, for sure. And again, I, I think we want to make this clear that, again, it's okay to not want to proxy the deck, but if you are interested in that, I uh, just posted on Twitter that yesterday, so the day before we're recording the show, I just went over to FedEx, self-print services, and printed out an entire e CDH deck for $8. So if you're interested in doing that, they work well enough. You can sleeve them up in front of a regular magic card that you're not using, and all of a sudden, bam, you can have a Mox Diamond. You can have a Grim Monolith. You can have your Time Twister if you want it. Because, um, you know, frankly, it CDH is a very proxy-friendly meta. And if you would like to be able to do that, you sh there should be nothing stopping you from proxying those cards. Yeah. I suggest it. And if you're unfortunately in a play group where they're maybe not the most proxy-friendly, if it's $8 to print off one CDH deck, whatever... Eight times four, be thirty-two dollars. That's that's thirty-two dollars and tax, maybe some gas money, to buy a whole pod of CDH and be like, listen, listen. Uh, I am willing to print off a deck for everybody. We'll all play together. If you if y'all want to, that's only thirty-two dollars. It is a lot, but like, you can trade a fetch land for that. Oh yeah, and 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 you're gonna be getting this value over time i mean th think think about it. so eight dollars you know that's really not much more or kind of less than let's say like a subway sandwich or um you know a, a combo meal at your favorite fast food restaurant but this is something that you're going to potentially be able to enjoy for the next week month year maybe decade again we never we never know where this game's going to go in 10 years 
but the amount of value you can get out of that eight dollars is absurd. And that that's a whole deck. I mean, you have to pay like ten bucks for sleeves, which you should pay the ten dollars for sleeves. Yes, yes. And maybe a few extra dollars for some basic lands to so put sure. the properties in front of. But like, so for like twenty dollars, you effectively have a full workable CDH deck that would cost, I don't know, up to a hundred times more or a thousand times more, depending on which which uh, version yeah, you're looking it, at. Exactly. If if the cheapest to get a full fleshed out CDH deck you can take to any proxy friendly table or a webcam game. If the top end of that is like twenty bucks for a whole deck, sideboard, maybe some other stuff, sleeves and stuff to back the cards with. Uh the average low end for a fully fleshed out CDH deck is two thousand. So it's twenty bucks is a hundred times less. Oh yeah. And it, it's a pretty good deal. And yeah, it's not the most important, but if you pull a fetch land from a pack, or you pull like some chase rare, some chase mythic that you don't need, like Boseju right now, is 20 bucks. In the $20 ring. I could probably walk into my LGS, trade in my Boseju that I pulled from a pack, get enough cards to back the print run, print out the print run, and then sleeve the print run, because I happen to have sleeves. Mm -hmm. But that is zero effort, practically. And I highly recommend doing it if you are interested in getting into CDH, both proxying and slowly picking up cheaper pieces for stuff like Hoxroll, Karkin, Sakashima, Wainoda, any of these versatile CDH decks that can be played a bunch of different ways and played effectively a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so now that we've talked about the, the proxy bit here, um, yeah, so, so we were talking about getting all of your smaller cards, or sorry, the, the cheaper cards out of the way as you try to build up towards Toxrel. How would you go about trying to help someone figure out a win condition or a set of win conditions that they may want to have in their Toxrel deck? Because you can have so... The Demir color pairing has so many ways to potentially win the game that it can be kind of daunting to figure out exactly what you want your deck to do. So, first and foremost, I recommend just picking up Thassa's Oracle, Demonic Consultation, Tainted Pact. Uh, all of those cards are not that expensive. I mean, they're up there, but they're not at nearly as expensive as some of the other stuff in the deck. Pick up that. That is... Bread and butter, that is the basic, that is the foundation. Cool. Once you have that, pick up Isochron Scepter and Dramatic Reversal. So now you have two win cons that already provide pretty good value in the deck. Once you have those two set up, then you can start getting a little bit more experimental. You can put in Blood Artists so that once you have Isochron Combo, built up, you can loop Toxrel. You can put in Corvuspell and Urborg so that you can just nuke out people's lands. You can put in Bolas to sit on top and counterbalance so that you can just rip through your deck like nobody's business. It's just, you have to start off with those real basic bread and butter combos being Thoracle stuff and Isogref stuff and you're good. 
Mm-hmm. And again, don't be afraid to try something different in CDH. Obviously, this is a format that is very wide open. There are new combos being discovered all the time, new fun, silly things you can do. So, um, yeah, you just play around with it. Toxrill opens up a lot of things, Help kind of helps you build your deck, honestly, because you know that you're going to be able to hose your opponent's creatures. So maybe you don't need as many destruction spells, your, your things like your slaughter pacts and, uh, and whatnot. So you may not need as many of those in your deck as, as let's say, some other creatures with black in their, in their mana colors. So, yeah, just don't be afraid to play around. Try to find what works for you, and then just keep tinkering with it until you find a list that you want. Yeah. It, it's it's a very adaptable deck. It's a very fun deck, and it can be, like I mentioned, it can be played a handful of different ways. It can be played more staxy. It can be played more aggressively. There's a whole lot of options with it. But the core of it is this very bread and butter blue black deck. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think we've reached the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for for coming on the show again. It's been great having you. Yeah. Thank you. It, it's it's been an absolute blast, like it has the past handful of times. All right. So yeah. Before I let you go, there, uh, could you give another quick shout out to not only Slug Colt but also to the work, all the work that you do. Uh, yeah, massive shout-out to Slug Cult. Uh, my deck list will be uh, included in the show info and in there. The Discord link is available. We highly encourage you to join us, ask some questions, look around, and see if Talk Girl's right for you. Uh, and then for myself, uh, my name is Beyond the Machina. I make Magic the Gathering-inspired playmats, proxies, and other sort of stuff, though I do not sell proxies. Uh, you can find me on Linktree or link dot link, link tr dot ee slash beyond underscore the underscore machina, and there you can find the links to all of my stuff. I'm most active currently on Twitter. As of uh, talking now, I've been doing a day long thing where it's an elaborate prank slash story with some of my proxies. I, I've had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, and that's also where you will just see a lot of my stuff. And, yeah. Alright, sounds good. And if you're interested in hearing any of the previous CDH episodes I've done in this series, any of the CDH content I've done in general, or just the entire back catalog of MTG and Quarantine podcast, you can find those on the usual podcast outlets. There's your Googles, Apple, Spotify, Player FM, Rocketcast, Pocketcast, Overcast, CastBox. There's so many of them. Uh, Podchaser, too, uh, as I just found out the other day. Yeah, I'm, I'm on all these different platforms, so definitely check those out. You can also find me on Twitter at, at MTG in Quarantine. And you can find your own and purchase your own MTG in Quarantine playmat over at inkgaming.com. Just go in the search box and search up MTG in Quarantine. There are two different options, the full color logo as well as a monochrome logo. So big thanks to Phil from the Neo Royal House of Pricey Cardboard for helping me get that monochrome version out there for y'all to purchase. And I want to give another huge shout out and thank you to all the awesome people who support me over at patreon.com slash MTG in quarantine. So huge thank you again to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Neo Royal, Nick S, Infamous Fridge, Frugal Brutal, Jenna the Filthy MTG Casuals, 
Coach J. Rowe, and Geek Beardly for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash mtgandquarantine for more information. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the MTG in Quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.